0: Karma Brown is back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books for a repeat performance. This time, we're talking about What Wild Women Do, a novel. Karma is the author of five novels, including the number one international bestseller, Recipe for a Perfect Wife, Come Away With Me, which was a Globe and Mail best book of 2015, Globe and Mail and Toronto Star bestsellers, The Choices We Make, and In This Moment, and The Life Lucy Knew. She is also the author of the bestseller, The 4% Fix, How One Hour Can Change Your Life. An award-winning journalist, Karma has been published in Self, Redbook, and Today's Parent, among others. She lives just outside Toronto with her husband, daughter, and a Labradoodle named Fred. Welcome, Karma. Thank you for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, this time to discuss what wild women do. Thanks, Sibby. I am happy to be here again. For anybody who is listening, you should stop what you're doing and go look at this cover, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Oh my gosh. With all this, these like delicate, yet beautiful you know, branches and I'm not good at describing things, which is why you should just go look at it. It's beautiful.
1: <laughs> it is. It did such a nice job with it. It really is. It has that sort of like feminine quality, but there's a little bit of wildness to yes. it with the, the natural elements. And there's a crow in there. Crow plays a part in the story. So I was very happy when the crow got on the cover. That was exciting for me. Yes
0: gorgeous so gorgeous anyway of course that's not important don't judge a book by its cover but you know i have to judge of course a little, a little bit <laughs> your book really spoke to me in in different ways but one of which is the like curation for others of your life as it happens and how do you sort of navigate that and what everyone else in your life wants and what you want and what becomes material and what does not and what is private. And you know, for anyone who is on social media, which is most people these days, like, you know, this is an extreme. And I want you to tell listeners more about what the book's about. But I don't know. It's something that everybody is always questioning and that you handle in a really interesting way. So
1: thank you. There was a lot wrapped up into that, right? In that, in that statement. So should I start with go mm-hmm. from there <laughs> okay. okay go from there okay well it's a book it's a dual timeline story it's set in 1975 and the present day and we follow two women one of whom is a modern day screenwriter and the other who's 30 and the other woman is a 50 year old sort of socialite turned feminist in 1975 who is running these workshops for women at her family's great camp compound in the Adirondacks so she's running these workshops for and these camp sessions for women to find their wild ways. And in the modern day, our protagonist, Rowan, who is a screenwriter, has gone with her fiancé, Seth, to the woods for a month to just get lost in the woods and be able to refocus on their creative endeavors. And there is this great camp. There is a hidden treasure. There is a mysterious disappearance. And these things link the two women together across the decades. So that's sort of what the book is about. And so I, you know, I've just started really talking about it. And it's so funny because you're like, okay, what is my book about? How can I make an elevator pitch for this story? And It's so hard because you know, right? Like you live in your book and it's really hard to distill it. So that's sort of the that's basically what it's about. I think that was a good job. That was
0: great. Thank you. You can do it again if you want. We could just practice. We could use the whole 30 minutes just to have you practice your elevator.
1: You know what? I feel like happy enough with what just happened there. So I'm going to leave it and not try Let's move on. Usually first (laughs) time is usually the best. So we'll leave it and move on. There are so many things that I can talk about with this story and I don't quite know where to start. One thing I will say is that it was really important for me to make one of the characters 50 And I just turned 50 last year. I did keep aging her up. It took a couple of years to write the book. So I, you know, she was 48 and then she was 49. And then she was 50 when I realized I'd be 50 when the book came out. And she just gave me an opportunity to work out a lot of stuff on the page about this age, about being a woman who's aging and all the good and bad that comes with that. And for Rowan, who's in the present day with her fiance, Seth, you know, she is a screenwriter and really wants to have her project, this, this script made into something or at least option for something. But she's sort of stuck because her fiance is writing, you know, the great American novel. He's an MFA and, but he doesn't seem to be doing a lot of writing. He's doing a lot of YouTube content creation because he has a YouTube channel and has sort of roped her into doing a lot of this couple's content you know, living their lives sort of out on social media and his focus seems to be there and her focus is somewhere else. And so there is, there is a lot about female ambition in this story and what that can do within a relationship. If not, everyone is on the same page about that, but the social media aspect, I really wanted to touch on because I, who doesn't struggle with social media? I find it, I have a teenager, I think multiple times a day about her use of social media and what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing or can do, um, how I want to be on social media. So that was an element of the story that I wanted to put in there because I do think it's hard to be authentic on social media. Even when you're being authentic, there can be this feeling that you've shared too much. And then you get that oversharing hangover and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? Did I need to do that? But there's a strange thing about it that compels you to share. So I wanted to add that as a conflict for the couple, but also, you know, again, working my own shit out on the page because <laughs> what else is, you know, it's so fun writing books, but this is all part of it. It's sort of like a little bit of
0: therapy for us authors. Yes. hundred percent. I was actually thinking about this. I was running to this doctor's appointment this morning and I was thinking like, oh, I should post about blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, no, that's something you should just talk to people about with your voice. Not recorded. Like that is yeah. just a conversation that does not have to be distributed. Like, not everything has to be distributed. Like, it's fine.
1: <laughs> it's right. Right. And, but it is hard to, you do have to have that conversation with yourself sometimes. You're like, wait, does everyone need to know right. what I ate for dinner tonight? Like, does it matter? And sometimes it may matter a great deal. And it, of course, depends on what your business is and what you're trying to do and the platform you're trying to build. But, It does require a little more thoughtfulness. And I think a lot of us give, you know, just kind of do, just sort of post it and then think about it later. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. The
0: work in progress. Still I'm I'm impressed they had so many followers. I'm like how did they even do that? But anyway.
1: <laughs> like well, um, anyway. It's it's fictional, Zibby.
0: I know, I know. In real life they would never get another 100,000 overnight. You
1: know, I did watch. I did watch a few couples. Like I followed a few couples for years and ha- hmm. and continue to follow them and just have watched what they do and how they do it and the constant content and the types of content that will get them just you know, a hundred thousand followers over wow. the course of a couple months. And and I mean, you probably know some of these types of of accounts, but they just they're living their lives out there in a very public way, um, not really holding a lot back. So anyway, but it is fictional, you know, they yeah, needed know. to have yeah. all these followers. So I had to, you know, massage it a little bit.
0: Yeah. No, I love that you did that as research. That was that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Am I allowed to read this Dear Reader letter? Because it was so beautiful, the letter that came with the book. Can I read it? Because it's please. all about you. Is that all right? I don't even remember it. you okay. please read it. For I've me. never actually done this before, but I'm going to do it because I was like, wow, that's, there's so much in here. Okay. Dear Reader, I turned 50 right around the time I was finishing edits on this novel, which is my ninth. I like to write stories about women seeking and achieving agency, and this book is no exception. Each novel has taught me something, but I've learned more from writing Rowan and Eddie's stories than any of the others. Maybe it's because I relate to screenwriter Rowan and her ambition to create something tangible in a modern world perpetually driven by viral trends, 24-7 news cycles, and flavors of the moment. Or, perhaps, similarly to my 1970s socialite-turned-feminist Eddie, I am on the cusp of the third act of my life— When women, too easily dismissed at every age, become nearly invisible, even as they brim with experience and wisdom and clear humility about what they still don't know. Early on, Eddie writes, I am on a path with a clear beginning, but no end. There is no room to be tentative with our intentions. Time is a fickle thing. Like Eddie and Rowan, I survived my own life-changing trauma when I was diagnosed with cancer at age 30. This fact about my history explains why I write the characters I do. Women who have survived the hardest moments of their lives and who are now on the path to thriving versus merely surviving. I too believe time is a fickle thing and that there is little room to be tentative with our intentions. It's a lesson I gave to Eddie to relay, but one that becomes a beacon for Rowan throughout the pages. And then you said, so while this book showcases only a few autobiographical details, a core memory visit to the Adirondacks great camp Sagamore when I was seven years old, personal truths about aging, I will admit to finding parts of myself at the center of both of these women. One of the most fascinating facts I learned in my research is that trees become stronger and more resilient when they get tossed about in strong winds. The back and forth sway of the trunk and branches is what helps the roots get a sturdier hold on the earth I believe the same is true for us. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's just so beautiful in so many Aww, ways. Thank you. Thank you. Talk about the tree part. Let's go to the end first, and then I want, and I also <laughs> just want you to talk. I know you did last time too about you know time being fickle and your thoughts on time, which I think about all the time, especially having survived something early on and and how that colors your thinking on aging, but also on living. Right.
1: Okay. The trees. I mean, I loved. I have become a birder. I'm pretty obsessed with trees. And that details really stuck with me that the reason we want the wind and the trees need the wind is because it helps them develop stronger roots. And that when they're blowing around, that's actually making them stronger. And so it's that just that beautiful thought that, like as we get tossed around in our life, it's actually anchoring us more into our life, into the into the earth, whatever it is, you know, wherever you feel that you need to be planted and rooted, that is made stronger because of trials and tribulations that we go through. And it's not to do any sort of toxic positivity. I'm very anti, you know, let's just frame everything in a positive light and talk about why we're so glad that these terrible things happened, because I think that doesn't actually offer a lot Makes other people feel really good, but it doesn't offer a lot to the discourse and the conversation. In terms of my feelings about aging, I mean, this past year has been a really interesting one for me. I pulled way back. I stopped writing entirely for probably about four months. I mean, literally did not put my fingers on the keyboards. I did a ton of work on like breath work and just listening to podcasts about how to find balance and to you know, work on my sympathetic nervous system so that I could feel calmer because I'm just not a calm person. Generally, I'm type A, I like to go, go, go. But at some point I just reached this place where I was like, well, this isn't working. I want to be more present in my own life because I'm 50. And so then I can see what's left of the runway. I hope it's long, but it's there in front of me. My parents are aging. My daughter is only home for a couple of more years. And I just needed to shift my focus and my priority.
0: Did one thing trigger this? Like, did you have a moment where you're like, okay, got to do something about this now? Or it just was the accumulation of all of that?
1: I think it was an accumulation of all that and then just turning 50 Mm -hmm. and
0: making it, you know,
1: it's like having a milestone birthday. Having a birthday is amazing. Having a milestone birthday is another opportunity to, to really... take stock of where you are. And, and I mean, I have a life I love and I'm very happy with all aspects of my life, but I wanted to be in it more. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be so much more present and not so driven by things outside of my control. And in the book business, it's really hard to stay focused on the things you can control. Mm -hmm. Um, so I basically am obsessed with Rick Rubin right now. He is my (laughs) monster, like everything he writes. And I've listened to 30 podcasts. If you ever want to know what is the best Rick Rubin podcast, I will tell you, I have his book that I read right now all the time. And just His framing, he's so calm. If you've ever listened to his voice, very Zen-like in these podcasts. So you just instantly like shoulders come down. But one of the best things that came out of me just listening to him was this idea that the moment we create something and we put it in the world or we hand it over is our moment of success. Mm. And so whether it goes on to be commercially successful or not is really none of our business. You know, we offered it into the world. It will be received by the people who are interested in receiving it. But we have had our successful moment in doing that, in creating that. And for me, that really helped to reframe, you know, this business. And, you know, this is my ninth book. I've been doing it for a while. So, yeah, I don't know if it was, I mean, I put it in a lot of books during COVID and it was a very busy time and I burned out. And so it did come out of necessity, but also just choice. I just made a choice. That that was enough, and I was going to slow down and go through a you know a different season, and it's been amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. It has been really life changing for me. So yeah. So can you take some of those things into the present and the future? Like what? Like if let's say somebody is not as in as you have become, like me. Well, I (laughs) mean, what should I do? Just give me like one thing I should do. Is it really breathing? Is that really that important? Yeah, no, honestly, that has changed things for me. There is a
1: breathing pattern I do that is in for four and you, you push your belly out in for four through your nose, hold for seven, blow out through your mouth for eight. Do that three times. I do it all the time. Like as many times as I think about it in a day, I do it. And it really does just calm you down. And cold showers. I know this is weird, but like cold water Hmm. makes a huge difference in just keeping the dopamine up and and keeping the stress down. So, I mean, I'll send you other things, (laughs) like off the record, and we can we can discuss that. But I, you know, those were two things that I have been doing consistently, consistently. And then if I get feeling wiggly, I go put Rick Rubin in my ears, or I read a chapter of his book, or I just remind myself about what I can control and what I can't. And then, you know, it's not perfect, trust Mm -hmm. me. Like, you know, I spin out still, it is Mm -hmm. a work in progress, but it's much, it's a much better place to be. I I find there's a, there's a lot more peacefulness here. So Rowan and Eddie, you know, Eddie has all these mantras about life and and she's become fairly self-actualized after going through her own journey. And sometimes like there's things I read back some of the things she wrote and I think, Eddie, like that's wise. And
0: they're like,
1: (laughs) that came out of your head. I mean, it's in you, it's in there, but you know what it's like with your characters. They sort of just become other people, you know, really intimately, um, but they don't feel always like you. They're just, they're outside of you Mm -hmm. by the time they go live on the page
0: like that. So it's true. Anyway, I'm talking in circles about, you know. It's not circles. Jen. It's super interesting. <laughs> See, I, I think it is super interesting. I think a lot of people, even if sometimes if I read a passage back, authors will often be like, huh, I can't believe I wrote that. Or like, yeah, yeah. that is true. Or wow. <laughs> because you put it out there. It like, I don't know. I mean, if you, how do there's you. There's an alchemy in? there.
1: Yeah. It's like, there's an alchemy that you just, you're in I mean, I, I don't know what it's like for you, but when I'm in with my characters, like we are together 24 seven and they sit, tell me things when I'm driving and we have little conversations when we go walking in the woods and, you know, dialogue will just show up and I hear their voice and, and it, it's almost impossible to separate. If you truly allow yourself to participate in that, which I think for me is the easiest way to get the words on the page. Otherwise, it, it's an overthinking process mm-hmm. that happens, but yeah, they, they do. They, they become, my husband has never understood this. He's always like, okay, I'm just going to take your word for it. But <laughs> it's like, they become real people, like people I knew really well on Facebook. And then now we just stay in touch. Like
0: once a year and send <laughs> birthday messages, but you knew them really well at one time. Yeah. I feel like it's more of one of those, like Maybe a summer camp experience. like it's an intense, shorter period. yeah And then yeah. not not so much like a friend for 50 years, you know, because you're just like, no, you're in but it. you
1: shared something, yeah, like you shared this experience yes. and it yes. was meaningful mm-hmm. and you always have that. and no matter where everyone else moves on to, you always have that experience. So
0: yeah, it's crazy what our brains do. And also what society deems is like super productive and helpful to the world like novels perhaps and people and like mental illness where you also hear voices and yet you're not writing them and it is not like socially acceptable in the same way or productive or whatever. So I don't know if there's like a fine line, honestly. I don't know. know? I'm not even going to worry about it because there's so many things
1: to worry about that like, this is the other thing where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put that one over there. That is not
0: something I have to worry about. No, no. I didn't mean it as a worry. I'm just like, this is... It's just interesting. No, but it is what interesting we do with stuff. To, yeah, we, we'll put it. And aside. how we reframe it and the, yeah. the
1: context that we put around things. Agree. We we have a tendency to, you know, we want to put context around everything, and the same thing can show up differently <laughs> in in two different places, right? Yeah. Instant Glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code Presson25 at checkout for twenty-five percent off Impress Manicure and press on Falsies. Hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: Wait, so tell me more though about your writing and when you think of characters and then how do you decide, how do you marry plot and character and like, which comes first for you and, and all of that.
1: I usually a character comes first for me or a setting. I really like to make my settings feel like another character. And so sometimes it's a setting in this case, it was the setting. First, I really wanted to write a book that was set in sort of this isolated forest where I I like to put all my characters in very isolated places. I often do that where I put them in, you know, like in Recipe for Perfect Wife, they're in a house and that's basically where you spend all your time with, with those characters. But I just thought there's just something about being in the woods, especially if you are just a little small person in a giant, vast wood filled with all the natural elements and what, how do you feel about yourself and your relationships when you're amongst all of that? And when you're alone and you have to do that thinking, you don't want to distract you. And so, oh my God, I've forgotten the question now. Plot and character, plot and character. I mentioned I was 50 in perimenopause, yeah. (laughs) So usually it's character, but I can't, I mean, I do a lot of planning ahead of time. I I can't start writing until I have both, but Mm -hmm. I, so I do wait until those pieces come into, into focus for me. But usually it's a character or setting. And then I start thinking about, You know, the things that I'm interested in or curious about, like with the hidden treasure. I don't know if you remember hearing about Forrest Fenn, who was this eccentric. I think he was a billionaire, but he buried a treasure in the Rocky Mountains and made it a game for people to go and find it. And it took years and years. Someone found it a few months before he died. And there was all the speculation that he had never done it. He'd never buried it. He was just trying to get people to you know, get out in the woods. But then five people died trying to find it because they fell down cliffs and went into rivers. And anyway, so I was also inspired by this idea of like what, like people were putting their whole lives on hold to go and seek out this treasure in in an environment that they were not prepared to go into. And so what is it about us that makes us decide to just put our life off off to the side and go and do this thing you know what really propels people to do the things they do so it all kind of yeah, yeah. mixes together huh wow what
0: about you do you do your characters or your I mean I only have the one novel that's actually yeah, okay you know, worked <laughs> or it, that's coming out but I have written a bunch of other ones it just I mean I don't know. Those all count, Vivi. Those all I count. I know, I know, so. I know. I mean, I would say that to someone else too, but it's me, so I don't feel like that. You have to be kind to yourself too. They count. I think it's both. It's like, there has to be, I, I don't know. I feel like I have the idea of the story yeah. and like, I'm not as good as creating, I, like, I don't know. I have like an amalgam of people. I'm like, well, this person kind of looks like this person, but then they're kind of going to act like this. And I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's
1: alchemy again. Yeah. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure it can be totally Pin down, but usually it starts with something for everybody.
0: And it might be different every book. That's true. So what about your next book? Are you working on anything else? I am. Can you, what can you say? Anything? I'm not going to say much, except that
1: it's quite different. I'm switching genres again. So Mm -hmm. something that I've wanted to write for a long, long time. It's my favorite genre to read Hmm. and I'm having a lot of fun doing it, but
0: Wow. Yeah. Look at that big smile. That's amazing. I, love it. <laughs> I mean, that's the point, right? If we're not, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you know, why do it? I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, sometimes
1: There are reasons, but I do, you know, sometimes you, you get stuck and you get lost and then you have to find your way back out again.
0: So yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time. That's amazing. What advice would you give to aspiring authors? Oh, this question. Sorry, sorry.
1: (laughs) No, no, it is a good question. But I do think the issue is that what works for someone doesn't work for someone else. Uh, What works for me is making sure that when I'm actively drafting a story, my butt is in the seat. And I like to do it early in the morning at 5 a.m. I don't edit as I go, if I can help that, because I feel like I don't know my story until it is... There's at least a first draft, no matter how messy it is. And, I, you know, if you haven't finished the story, you might be editing out things that are actually going to be critical to a character. So I usually just say, you know, for me, what works is not waiting for some muse to show up. It is, this is a job and you have to put your butt in your seat and get your words down. Mm-hmm. No matter when that is for you or how you force yourself to do that, whether you need treats to do it or... <laughs> you know, to like lock your door or something. I don't know, whatever it is, just make sure that, that you can sit down and get the words down. Otherwise there's nothing to do anything else with, True. but that's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Everyone has, I mean, I like to wake up early and other people are like, oh, that is the worst advice ever. I'm like, okay, well <laughs> you, you do you, whatever works for you. That's just what works for me. What is the wildest thing you've done? Okay, so. The wildest thing I've done, when I was working as a freelance journalist for magazines, I had this habit where I'd wake up in the morning early, again, because my daughter was a very early riser. So I would wake up and I would pitch about five to eight ideas to different magazines. And so one morning I woke up, I had not had my coffee yet. And I thought, I'm going to pitch this idea of going to a nudist resort. And can going to a nudist resort help body image? Hmm. So if you go and you're naked amongst all the other naked people, will you feel better about your body? Mm -hmm. And so I, yes, this is a great, and I sent it. And then I was like, uh uh-oh, they're (laughs) going to want this story. And, you know, you just have a knowing, and then I'm going to have to go. And that is what happened. So it's not exactly wild in the conventional way that you might think of being wild, like going on some massive hike across some big mountain range, but it was wild because I'm the person who ducks in our back, like our bedroom windows face a forest. And I duck when I change because (laughs) someone might see me. So I like got fully naked in my Crocs because what do you wear when you're naked? I mean, it was the worst, but I didn't know what else to wear. It was freezing cold. And I did this interview fully in the nude for a day, walked around, and it was quite the
0: experience. So, I mean, that was wow. for me putting myself really out there. Wow, that was wild. Well, I, I definitely think that gives you permission then to write a book called "What Wild Women Do." <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, <Welcome. laughs> Karma. Thank you so much for coming back on Monster Time to Read Books. Congratulations on this beautiful, fa- fascinating, wonderful book. What? Oh, wild thanks Women so do. much, Zibby. Okay. Thank you. It was great to see you again. You too. Sorry.